Though I tried not to hurt you, though I tried, but I guess that's why they say every rose has its thorn. Just like every night has its dawn. Just like every cowboy sings a sad, sad song. Every rose has its thorn. Welcome back to Bleeding Blue. This is a New York Football Giants history podcast. My name is Justin Panic, and with me, as always, is one of my best friends, Nikki Snacks. We're getting into a different book this week. This is the second book that we're starting on this show. Second year, second book. This is also the final month of Bleeding Blue. We didn't really give that formal announcement yet. July is going to be the final month of Bleeding Blue for this year. We will, you know, this is an off-season show. You know, once we get going in the month of August on the Talking Giants YouTube channel, so there's going to be a ton of videos. So this is mainly an off-season show. We're going to treat August as almost like the start of the season on the TG YouTube channel, and we're going to put Bleeding Blue to bed. But we have one more month left, four more solid episodes left, reading, no medals for trying, 1989 season snacks how are you great i'm really great um i like how you lead the show in with some some bad news uh you know bad news for a few months but we'll be back and better than ever as usual um so oh what you golfing today no it's a little too rain but i'm golfing on monday so i figure i had the glove next to me and that's uh, that's kind of weird i don't know why i don't know why you are you michael jackson well in some cases maybe uh i mean you <laughs> no are, i'm you kidding are, meaning meaning oh. like i could dance like him well i was Jeez. thinking i was thinking like an icon i mean you just you just went the, the pedophilia route oh. that's that's what you did oh. uh yeah I'm, I'm i would ask you to edit that out but i'm not going to because nope. it was a Obvious joke, but no, all is good. I'm doing great. I'm very excited to read this book, um, or at least hear the stories that uh, that you portray to me. And um, 18, uh, 1898, I was just going to say, 1989, we, we didn't really, uh, we haven't touched base much. You know, no. this is, uh, we've been mostly, I guess, 90 and on. We watched some games early um, and talked mostly about the 2000s and on. So this is this is very exciting and a little different. So let's rip the bitch up. Yeah, so I'm actually I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you this book after I read it. Please um, do. Yes, I would love to go through it. Now I, I annotate the crap out of it, so I don't know that's how. Fine. How do you feel about that? You feel, I, feel I, good I, about that's that? fine. I, I actually like that. I like you like, like if that? you looked at if you looked at my Coughlin book, it's got like mostly same shit. You got to read around. Yeah, but I I I don't do it as much as you. Like I kind of oh I I I mark it up. I yeah, love I under I underline most things. I'll write a few notes on the side, but I know I've seen pictures of the way you do it, and it's yeah. Well, I also write like a doctor, so it's terrible. Yeah, you also write like my eighth grade English teacher. Well, that I would hope your eighth grade English teacher actually wrote well. I don't write well. Uh, she is actually the greatest teacher I ever had in my life. Um, but she had bad penmanship. I mean, I yeah. write well, but I have bad penmanship. That's she was my like point. 75 years old and she was like halfway at the door, but she was amazing. Um, got it. Miserable penmanship, though. Yeah, big time. Got it. Gloves off, by the way. Gloves off. Thank you. I, I felt a little weird. Yeah, just, just Yeah, I figured I wanted to come in with a little bit of a surprise. You know, I'm, I'm really excited. I know this is on Monday, so I would have already used up three of my my weekend days. But, you know, four day weekend, fourth of July, my favorite holiday of the year. So I wanted to uh, spice it up a little bit. So I put the glove on. There you go. So 
This book, No Medals for Trying, it's by uh, Jerry Eisenberg. It's taking place directly right after the, you know, right on that plane ride home from a Monday night football loss against the San Francisco 49ers in Candlestick Park. Devastating losses. I think the Giants had the lead a little bit. They had an opportunity to go down and drive uh, for a game-winning drive. Phil Simms threw an interception. Um, there, were some, there were some other special teams mishaps too, and, you know, we can kind of talk about that a little bit. But Snacks, I'm really liking I'm liking the start of this book. So that's where I am. Uh, so it's, it's taking you through each day and pretty much each moment of the week that is leading up to the Giants playing for the division lead or trying to keep the division lead against Buddy Ryan, Randall Cunningham-led Philadelphia Eagles that Sunday. So, yeah, miserable, miserable team. And, the, and it's, fun, it's funny, they called the Randall Cunningham that damned number 12. Um, that's, that's, that's how they, that's how they kind of referred to him there. So I'm at Wednesday morning. So, but so between now, you know, we, we Monday night slash Tuesday morning on the way home from Candlestick Park, a very, very long flight, uncomfortable flight, quiet flight. Um, as you can imagine after a a, a devastating loss and then all all the way up until Wednesday morning. So that's where we're at. And that's how we're going to end the episode, but just some overall impressions. And then we can get to some nitty gritty details. I feel like I am reading a variation of any given Sunday. So you've seen that movie. Hmm. I mean, of course. I and, and I know you love that movie and you love Al Pacino too. So I do. Any given Sunday. Wait, 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 wait. You have seen the movie. Yes, I've seen the movie. That's a shock. It's a, mir- okay. it's a miracle, right? It's, I, haven't yeah, seen I, know. It. I haven't seen a movie in my life. So I feel like I'm reading like a variation of any given Sunday where any moment can feel like an eternity, but in the grand scheme of things, because of how fast football moves, it actually like only lasts a millisecond. And that moment in which you're dreading on, or that moment at which you're sitting on, it actually doesn't matter because the only thing that matters in football is the next thing that's coming up. It's like the next play, the next game. So um, that's kind of like my thoughts so far where Jerry Eisenberg has, taken these people's emotions especially like the first part of the book where now that we're now that i'm on wednesday and i started to read on wednesday now it's like we're moving we're installing game plans we're making sure that guys are healthy and we're really moving but that monday tuesday i was i i got exhausted reading it because of how much detail he poured into the back and forth of the coaches going back and forth of, 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 a, of a specific moment that happened in that game. Um, the pain that the players felt. So, you know, I guess maybe I don't know, I'll, th- I'll throw it to you for, for thoughts on whatever. And that is how I felt kind of like reading this book to start. Well, I, I, I think uh, I'm at an unfair disadvantage here because I don't know too many details, but I would sure love to be a fly on the wall. Uh, with those coaches talking and the players talking, clearly it was not the most pleasant of a plane ride, um, which obviously is understandable. And Wednesday is usually the big day of the NFL week, correct? That's when uh, it's when they, they hit the practice field, I would assume. Well, yeah, I yeah. Guess so it's, after... I mean, it's, it's different this week because of the Monday Night it's Football. Monday night, yeah, usually yeah. if they win, they get, they get an extra day off, but then right. Wednesday they're going to be into practice. But because of number one, how banged up everybody is. And I'll start reading off these injuries, which is insane, but because of how banged up everybody is and also how tired everybody is. And it was a bad loss. Parcells wants everybody into practice, but it's every, everything's going to be without pads this week. Wow. Everything's okay. going to be without pads. unlike him. 
Well, I mean, you're also you're deep into the season. Oh, too. I, under- I understand, but it's still pretty funny that that this uh, this tough coach bastard is uh, going no pads. You would think maybe a little pissed off, a little under his skin a little bit yeah. that he'd want to put pads on, but no, not the case. Maybe Parcells was a player's coach. Maybe we've been wrong all the time. No, no. But uh, <laughs> but uh, do you understand where I'm coming from with this? Now, you didn't read the book, but uh, right. this any given Sunday kind of comparison where, you know, think of you know, Dennis Quaid being banged up and all these guys just, you know, LT was in that freaking movie. It's ironic how he's banged up in that movie and he's banged up in this book. You know, maybe the director and the writers of that, uh, of that movie, maybe they read this book and they got inspiration from it. Um, But just the weight of the world is on each person's shoulders and the way that it's set up between the flight home and then getting home and, you know, having basically a sleepless night because a lot of these coaches, they're already starting to prepare and install Tuesday morning and they're, you know, Tuesday all throughout the day. Um, do you understand? I feel like that movie did a great job of exaggerating moments and slow, you know, with slow-mo shots and everything like that. So you understand kind of like where that can kind of come from. Yeah. And from just what you briefly said to me about what was going on, I'm, I'm literally envisioning any given Sunday and their storylines and plot lines and everything and how um, there was high tensions everywhere in that movie. And uh, just like thinking back, like Dennis Quaid's injury. And uh, I think that the owner Cameron Diaz wanted Jamie Foxx to play and Pacino stubborn ass was like, no, it's uh, Quaid. I've won with him before. Yada, 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 yada. So I'm excited to see how, how the rest of this week transpires. Yeah. I mean, it tension is the right word. I mean, yeah. you know, I'm not going to, you know, this, Jerry Eisenberg and certainly I'm not going to say that this, the giants coaching staff was, you know, they were all pissed off at each other, but you can easily see how an NFL coaching room, at least with the start of this book, you can easily see how it can translate into conflict. And because there are so many voices that are present, especially when they're watching film and they're breaking down film and they're, and they're installing game plan, or, you know, they're breaking down the previous week in terms of, you know, who, who do you want to point the finger at? You know, mm-hmm. uh, the the room and the potential for tension is very, very much there. Um, and I was very surprised that, and I was very surprised at that to, to see how that potential is there. So here's some of the injuries. So Eric Howard could feel a, a, a familiar spasms uh, spreading through his lower back. Howard plays with a chronic disc problem. And when the Giants win, the discomfort is kind of a barometer that seems to tell the big nose tackle. I'm just reminding you that you played well, old friend, and you won. But tonight, it's simply pain. Each spasm is a kind of uh, acapella accompaniment to the dull ache from a fresh knee injury. Lionel Manuel, wide receiver, has a bruised thumb and a twisted knee. John Elliott, six foot seven, uh, six foot seven inch, three hundred pound offensive tackle, has a badly swollen ankle. Five other players, thirty, including thirty two year old running back Otis Anderson. Among them are still exhausted. Each of them had been treated for leg cramps during the game, and Dave Maggette is still shaking the cobwebs from his head. From he got his bell rung, and here and here's a and here's a funny quote from Ronnie Bonds, a head yeah, trainer Ronnie, Ronnie Bonds. Bonds. This is 1989, and Ronnie Barnes is here, he's and he's still, 30, pro- still he's, pretty prominent. He's 37 years old in in 1989. So you know, do the math. However old he is now, 60, now he's the 67. Now he's the team's lead doctor. So it's 30 years later. So 30 years, what? 30 years, 37. He's he's in a, he's basically almost in the 70s. Mr. Barnes, Maget uh, asked the trainer one day, "What's an official NFL hit? 
I can't tell you that, David. Well, how will I know when I get one? You'll know, David, because you'll be looking at your ear hole. <laughs> That's, so a great Ronnie, line. That's a great line. <laughs> my, there's something about the way that old school people talk about the game of football, and they love talking about the ear hole. Well, I mean, it's a, it's a prominent thing back, right? It's kind of like the, get your your ear hole wrong. Well, I guess it's bell wrong. Yeah, you get your bell wrong. And my father always uh, taught it's me. It's like it's like headshots, pretty much. That's what what they talk about. Yeah, my father always taught me that um, you know, if if I was ever a defense, if I was a defensive lineman, I I wasn't a defensive lineman a ton, but uh, when I was a defensive lineman for a brief period of time, if somebody was holding me, and I saw that they were leaning forward, like they weren't balanced and. They didn't have their feet under them, but they were just put putting their weight on me and they were holding me, you know? So what I would do is snap the ball, open up my hips, slap them right in the ear hole. Right in the ear hole. <laughs> and it's illegal. You can't do that. That's it. Well, <laughs> but, but you get there, you, you ring somebody's bell. Slap them in the ear hole, ring their bell. Boom. Yeah, Look at that. Slap them, slap them in the ear hole. So then what? So then there was, there's, there's actually this one play where you can see it pretty clearly. So I, I did it to somebody. I didn't do it often, but I did it to somebody once because I was really pissing me off. And he actually goes on all fours. And it's, oh, and it's pretty funny. Bum. Um, Look at you. Yeah. Yeah. Talking about my playing days, talking about the playing days. So those are some of the injuries, including, you know, I just listed a whole bunch of names, but yeah. also including, most importantly, Phil Sims, bad ankle injury. And also Lawrence Taylor also has a bad ankle. I think they are definitely, definitely LT has an ankle injury. They're two they're, most important players. Yeah. Yeah. Especially LT. I mean, the right. fact that I mean, you lose LT, so, you're not doing anything. Yeah. So, which is so crazy to say, isn't it? What? Sorry. Uh, what? If you lose your defensive player, your best defensive player, as opposed to your best offensive player, there's nothing. You do that now, you're screwed. You know, the way that they talk about LT, remember, you know, remember how we asked BBBCR about two weeks ago? Was the allure of Lawrence Taylor there? Yeah. Well, kind of Eisenberg kind of answers it. So he became LT or simply the linebacker. You could take your choice because it didn't matter. Under either name, everybody knew exactly who you were talking about. In the mind's eye of all the Giants, he had long since emerged as a resident catalyst of defensive miracles. Lawrence, the sacker of quarterbacks. Lawrence, the interceptor of passes. Lawrence, able to leap blockers with a single bound dominate a game like Gulliver on a field of Lilliput. I don't know what li, 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 I feel like it's a flower word. Li, Lilliputians. There you go. Yeah, that's exactly it. I have no fucking idea what that is. And wake the stadium echoes with chance of defense, defense. Um, so the allure was there. You know, the allure yeah, of you know, the, the linebacker. The um, li- I, I love that. That gave me a good chuckle. I, I know you were reading, but I was kind of, and I give a good side chuckle, the linebacker. Yeah. God, that's so sick. All right, so they're going forward. The flight home. Um, Raina Thompson, who is a longtime cornerback. Um, uh, he, he came from another team, uh, but he was actually he was working on his degree and part, you know, part of you know, him working on his degree and then him being like a free agent in parcels. You know, he wanted to take a chance on him and bring him in as a cornerback because it's like, stop. You know, once he said that he was working on that degree, that right. you're it shows that you're dedicated it shows that you know you that you're that you have a maturity that can fit kind of this football team so what Randa thompson actually did this game is his arm was over the line of scrimmage on a field goal that the 49ers kicked and then he missed so snap wow. the ball Randa thompson was offside 49ers kicker missed it but then 
the yellow, you know, the yellow cloth is on the field and then they get to redo the kick 49ers kick it. And then they tie the game. So then that's, that's, that's what, crushing. Yeah. So if they miss that kick, odds are the giants can just take the ball, you know, clock can run out and then they'll, then they'll win the game. Uh, so Thompson actually has um, a, a pretty, a pretty funny quote. Um, one that I think kind of symbolizes that's kind of helpful for the book. Funny when you win, you look ahead when you lose, you can't help but look back. I mean, that's dead spot on. Yeah. Dead spot on. I mean, even, even as fans, that's how we do it too. It's, it's crazy. Some of these games last year you, or in, in our lifetime, you sit back and they, they lose. And all you do is think about every single little play. Yeah. After they win a game, I'm like, all right, we won. Who are we yeah. playing next? And we talk, yeah. we, we've talked about all the time on the show with this, just this offseason general. You don't remember the, uh, you don't, you remember the crushing losses more than anything. Oh, with that, oh, easily, easily. Are you kidding me? I could probably get, replay every play of the fourth quarter of that, Phil, the miracle of the Medlands. Yeah. And or that the 38 new, new 35. Uh, I can tell you every single yeah. play. That 38 35 loss, whether it's in 2015 to the Panthers, which is one of the best football games I've ever been to, or the 2007 one against Patriots. Yeah. I could probably tell you more about those games than I can about, you know, the. The win that we had in 2011 week seven. I just remember being really happy. 2011 week 17, we won and we just had a ball. Right. It's crazy. Like our biggest wins as Giants fans have been those two years. We're in the playoffs and the Super Bowl. And I can tell you after every game, I you celebrate right then and there. And you're like, okay, if the game is on Saturday, who are we playing next? Who, who's that? You lose one of those games. That's all you think about four months. Yeah. Four months. And the thing is with, these uh, so why Eisenberg did such a good job kind of setting this up is he made that plane ride feel like an eternity. Oh but yeah, I, it, it, it's clear it's a spectacle too. Like yeah. so that's that's awesome. I mean, Raina Thompson's in one spot and he doesn't say a word throughout the entire flight. He knows he made that mistake, but he talks about how that you know each you know almost all the teammates as they walk by on the plane they just give him a pat on the shoulder. You know, so you don't want to talk to anybody when they're in that spot. I mean, nobody said a word to anybody on that flight. Um, but, you know, just giving that little affirmation, you know, for those teammates, even though you fucked up, um, I thought that was kind of cool, you know, especially on a professional level. You know, you always think to do that like in a high school level, but yeah. even on a professional level, the fact that guys are doing that is kind of cool. And, you know, these guys are always uh, – I don't know how they do it, but, I mean, I guess they still get paid, but – yeah, they're perceived to be, you know, tough ass, you know, t- tough guys, right. especially in the 80s and stuff they like all, that. They love winning or uh... – you hear, I right, just couldn't continue. God bless him. It's very and, mature. And speaking <laughs> of, uh, speaking of tough guys, um, there's, there's a quote about special teams because Raina Thompson also does special teams too. And that's part of the reason why he was brought and part of the reason why he was brought on is because he was just a, a, a pro at special teams. Coaches love those damn special teams. They do. They love do. Them. So, he, so here's a, so here's a good, so here's a good quote about it. Years ago, the whole concept of special teams emerged as professional football moved into a world of specialization so defined that some defensive players would enter the game only in passing situations. There were only three kinds of players who ran down under punts or threw their bodies at the protective wedge of blockers on a kickoff or fought through a wall of flesh at just the right angle to block a kick. The rookies trying to stick with the team at any price. The veterans who will do anything to hang on and hope that the opportunity eventually arises to prove the coach wrong and the crazies and the crazies. I mean, can't be more true. Cause I always it, thought this sounds same pretty thing. damn accurate. Yeah. I, I think special teams is like, especially kickoff kickoff is the most barbaric 
it is roman fucking coliseum type of shit yeah it's, you, a, it's closest thing you can get to it like almost like war in back in the 1800s yeah. where you're just going at each other like this <laughs> you run full speed you run full speed fucking just mash each other yeah and i mean i mean obviously the rule is different now and we mostly just see touchbacks but back then i can't even imagine what guys like he said just trying to stick around and doing literally anything they can the crazies and the old veterans they're probably trying to kill each other yeah oh my goodness so 12.45 in the morning, somewhere over Nevada. Um, I, I guess Eisenberg and Parcells, whether they're talking or whether, or, you know, whether, you know, Eisenberg just chooses to put this kind of reflecting piece in here about Parcells. Parcells is thinking about, you know, his father. And actually, you know, there, there's some quotes of what his father says that really do shape the entire book and are going to shape exactly, you know, what this week is about. Success is never final, but failure can be, is, is, is one of the quotes that Parcells' father says. You don't get any medals for trying. You're supposed to do that. And one of the things that Parcell's father said to Bill when he was growing up, especially about, you know, sports is, you know, trying isn't even good enough. You're supposed to try, but you know, when a player's like, Hey, sorry, coach, I didn't do this. I tried my best. You know, imagine, imagine being like a young kid and, you know, maybe being like 15 years old and saying, Hey dad, Hey coach, whatever. I tried my best. And then just being like, you know what? It's a lesson in life, but even trying your best, sometimes you can still lose and try your best. Yeah. Still fail. Um, yeah. And, and, and it's funny because a lot of people, no, no, I, I, a lot of people just to that point, a lot of people blame, like uh, you'll hear on sports radio talk or something. They had no effort. They didn't show up. Well, I mean, they're as professional athletes. That's on, you know, that's on them. That can't be effort. I don't think effort can be coached. I, I, I really don't think so. I don't know how you can, you can get your team ready to play. You could, you motivate them to it. Once they step on that field, it's what you give. And, you know, if you're trying your best, obviously you don't get any medals if you fail, but listen, that is what you're supposed to do. If you do your prep work, you go out there, you try your, try your best and the results should play itself. But what do I know? And I think that, you know, because Sims is hurt, LT's hurt, so many guys are hurt, and the Philadelphia Eagles are riding high. Uh, you know, heading into this matchup, the Eagles have beat the Giants three times in a row. You know, they Sounds beat them familiar. earlier that season, and then they swept the season before. So, I mean, that feels familiar, right? But even though the Giants are mighty, you know, high and mighty, you know, the Eagles and Buddy Ryan and Randall Cunningham, they got something, you know, cooking, and, you know, they, they you know, Giants went 12 and four in 1989. Two of the, right. two of the four losses were, you know, from the Philadelphia stupid fucking Eggles. So, Ooh. you know, Ooh. yeah. That was, that was good, nice. Right? Even though was you're good. the Eagles' biggest fan. So. Yeah, I, I love the Eagles, the band. Mm-hmm. Um, went to school in Philly, yada, yada, yada. So well, um, what, what is, forget it. Go ahead. Yeah, but so trying and not that and that not being good enough. Because you know, I've always grown up with, you know, try your best and it's going to be, it's acceptable and it's celebrated. And, and, I, and I like that. I, I kind of do believe in that. But yeah. in the game of football, you can literally try your best. You can put all your effort out there and why the game of football sucks. And especially this plane ride, you know, I think it kind of, it kind of shows it. You can try your best. You can put your body on the line. You can get the shit kicked out of you. You can get your teeth knocked out. And you can try your best and you could still lose and yep. it doesn't matter. It doesn't even matter how hard you tried. That um, 200% effort, that 
all the, the best that you tried literally goes right out the window with a loss because at the end of the day, that's a result-oriented business. It's okay for me and you when we're 14, 15 years old, 10, 11 years old, okay? We'll, we'll still, you know, we're not, I don't think we're going to get whipped or anything like that. Uh, but when you're a professional athlete and you're trying your best and you're getting your shit kicked and you're losing, doesn't matter. So these are the main questions that are going to kind of guide the book, at least in my opinion, if I'm, if I'm inferring and if I'm reading, uh, if I'm reading with a keen eye. So there are doubtful. decisions to be made. Yeah. Doubtful. <laughs> do you plan with Taylor or without Taylor or do you draw up alternate plans? He disregards the last option because such a task would, would place a Herculean burden on defensive coordinator, Bill Belichick and his staff. Like, you know, uh, do you plan without Lawrence Taylor? That's that that kind of burden of how do you replace Lawrence Taylor? You you actually you, you can't physically do it. You just you know I guess you try to get two to three guys to kind of uh, replace somewhat of his role, right? Okay, and, and then having having that, you lose two thirds of your back end defense or or whatever the case, whatever the scheme may be that weekend. So yeah, an impossible task. So do you plan with Taylor? He discards. The first one, because deep within him, the feeling grows that this one might be too much, even for LT. So I don't know. I actually don't know. And I'm not going to look at pro football reference. Um, I don't know if LT plays. So I'm, I'm excited to I'm excited well, to see like how the week kind of develops because LT has, you know, he has been known to have these Herculean efforts of, you know, he tears his hamstring. Ronnie Barnes is like, he, this guy's definitely out. And then he comes back and he plays, you know, we know, we all know the story of you know him in that saints game. He tears his shoulder up, you know, he misses a little time. He gets the, the, you know, the big, it looks like Frankenstein and he gets that big pad on and then he comes back and he plays and he has an awesome game, um, which that might actually have been the same game where Mark Bavaro broke his jaw and that same game where he does that famous finger point celebration. Oh, and he yeah. chases. Yeah. 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 I don't know if that's the same game, but I think BBVCR. Well, it's the same team, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it was the same. It was the same team that he did the finger point, but I don't know if that's the that same game. game. Yeah, 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 I got you. Where I he like you. tore up his shoulder, and Mark Bavaro also broke his jaw in the same game yeah, and hard, came hard. back and had an awesome game. Also, oh, 1989. That was the season. 1989. Of course, it was early in the season. So, and, and, and LT is immortal. So literally, he's thought of as immortal. I mean, I don't know if. I mean, he only had a few years after 89, after this season, but you know, he's shown his whole career. He was immortal and maybe yeah. he's more seen as more of an immortal now. And you know, the folk tale of Lawrence Taylor. No, it but was even, known. It was, it was, it was known, known, right? It was we, known and, multiple and times. And yes, absolutely. And, and VCR said that to us too. So it's like, you're not even thinking of the thought. You're not even thinking of the thought of not being with LT right. on game day. So that's just a true testament to him. Yeah. So Parcells actually does announce he he says I'm going to announce to the media that Parcells is out for Sunday, but they're going to wait and see as the week develops. Wait, 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 wait. Parcells announces to the media that Parcells is out. For I'm Sunday? sorry, Parcells uh, that LT's out for that LT's I, I figured out for that's Sunday. what you meant. I thought he was playing a joke or something. Yeah, no, no, that's no, why no. I, I'm, out, I'm out. L- That's LT's why I wanted out. to clarify. LT's out. I'm out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So Parcells does announce, he, he announces to the coaches, and this is right on Tuesday, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday morning, you know, he announces, I'm I'm just going to say LT's out. And then if he can come back and play, he can play. And then the hope, the, they did hope that Phil Sims, poor, poor fucking Phil Sims, they just, he, he's, he was put through the ringer for years. Poor, <laughs> they were hoping that Sims could play. So, so here's, so here's some more questions. What will he tell them on Wednesday morning? 
How will he approach this week with the division lead and logically division title on the line? What possible approach can wipe away the wake of the, of the disaster this team suffered just hours ago? On the other hand, how much do you really need to tell them? After all, this will be the Eagles. So part of their motivational approach this week, I mean, you know, we talked a lot about motivational approaches with Coughlin. Mm-hmm. Part of the motivational approach this week is the message this week is going to be the division titles on the line. Almost think of like 2010, you know, 2010 where we played the Eagles at home. Pretty much same scenario, yeah. The division title is on the line. And if that's not enough for you to get motivated and get your mind right for this game, uh, get the fuck out. I mean, yeah. that was the message. You don't, you don't belong here. Absolutely yeah. not. For a division title against, you know, one could argue your biggest rival, get out. You can't get up for that. Get out. So Eisenberg starts talking. You know, he gives some background detail about Giant Stadium and, you know, um, you know, he just he's, he gives a lot of background details on it. And I love the way that he sets everything up. But there's one particular background story that I want to read to you. And I want to know if you have any thoughts or feelings or opinions, whatever. Lay it on me. Once, not so long ago, the Jersey Meadowlands on which Giant Stadium was built was a refuge for ecologically protected swamp rats and the rusting shells of long-abandoned automobiles. It was also the desolate place where, quote-unquote, scientists in expensive imported suits with large bulges under their jackets once carried on serious midnight experiments to determine how far a man from the wrong family could sink with an old jukebox tied to his ankles. There are still people today who insist that the stadium was built on the bridge of Jimmy Hoffa's nose. Bang! I was praying this was going to come up. Sorry for screaming. It's 100% true. Without a doubt, you will never, ever, 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 ever prove to me otherwise or make me think differently that Jimmy Hoffa is not buried under Giant Stadium. There's just no way. None. That's where it is. Can you give me some background detail? I'm very, like, not tuned in. I I know I'm from Jersey. I'm 25% Italian. I'm not by blood 25% Italian, but because I'm from New Jersey, I'm 25% Italian. So okay. give me some background details. <laughs> well, Jim, well, I don't really know reasons behind that. All I know is from my, when my grandpa used to tell me and my father, everybody used to tell me, Jimmy Hoffa, well, as you know, he just disappeared. Nobody knows where he went. If he died, did he go away to a third world country, whatever? But he was, he, he had mob ties. He was mobbed up. And the mob and Jimmy Hoffa were not seeing eye to eye. And then all of a sudden he was gone, vanished. And this was, he was in the Detroit area at the time of his, at, um, of his disappearance. Now, when you're building a new stadium, what better place to put somebody than under there? It's never going to get dug up. True. It's never going to get dug up. So his disappearance was in line with when they were building the stadium, most likely? I'm almost positive, yeah. I'm pretty sure that's the reason. If I'm wrong, then I look like an idiot. But this is, this is what I was told. And I believe, I believe my grandfather, you know, he was, pretty, he was a pretty smart man. And I'm of the belief, as a Jimmy Hoffa fan, that he's buried under the stadium I love to attend. So not the new one, the old one. Right. He's probably under a so, parking lot right now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, poor Jimmy. Rest in peace. Rest in peace. I thought you were like that. I, I I loved it. I I knew I knew it was coming once you started saying it was built with like the sewer rats and everything. I was like, he's gonna do it. He's gonna <laughs> tell me. He's gonna tell me, baby. So thank you for that. Made my day. No problem. Jimmy, Jimmy. Um, are they opening up that club? Uh, one of I I have to say the the best. I think the best moment of the show. We'll, we'll I have some kind of maybe concluding thoughts of 
you know, maybe a story with Ronnie Barnes and then approach to Randall Cunningham. But um, are they reopening that club that your grant that your was it your father and LT they they both went to and your, and your father met big. LT at that club the so big. that's my Sat, favorite moment satin dolls satin doll it, it's actually called satin dolls it's uh, in the Sopranos they use that same location and it's called the Bada Bing I don't know it's a good question I haven't drove past there in a while I mean uh, Clem put out shirts that yeah I know I got to get one I'm gonna get one for my dad is it because it's the many saints of Newark yes. That, yes. That's why the shirt's coming out again. Okay, so yes. maybe so they're not Clem's actually. Clem's doing everybody a service on, on you know, just some Sopranos merchandise before the big, uh, the big premiere October first, which I can't wait for. Just yeah. saying, it's like my favorite moment this off season where you and him just connected on that, and then you're like, yeah, my father just ran into LT and uh, yeah. at this club and yeah. <laughs> just and saw that LT, yeah, and you know, apparently did drugs in him in the bathroom. So say I don't know. I don't know anybody's Lawrence Taylor and um, my dad found him in the bathroom doing cocaine in a strip club on Route 17 in New Jersey. Just saying, had what is Clem? I feel bad for Clem because he doesn't listen to this show. But snacks, it's a great story. You have all of these stories where your father just he runs into Otis Anderson. He (laughs) runs into didn't he run into McConkie once? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but this is a good one because it was a strip club and it was Lawrence Taylor doing coke in the bathroom. That's a pretty good story. It's relevant to the to the hypothetical here. It's, rel- it's relevant to the hypothetical. Sharing with the class. Yeah, exactly. You know, you, Justin, you've never watched The Sopranos, but but Clem, you know the Bada Bing. I was going to say your dad strikes me as a Soprano side <laughs> character right now. That's exactly what I was going to say. You're talking yeah, Route well, 17 and everything else. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That. No, and it, it, it was the Bing. It was the Bing. This is where it was. And it's funny. Satin Dolls? Was that Satin Dolls? That was Satin Dolls, yes. Oh. I, it, it's a true story. And I asked my, I'm like, I'm like, Dad, I don't believe you at all. And it was backed up by two of the people he was with. So I'm like, okay, I believe it. And today I get to brag about it. I wasn't there. I wasn't born, but I believe it. Absolutely. Love it. I mean, and it's, it's very believable. <laughs> That's the best part. It's, it's maybe a seven minute ride to the stadium. And LT was a known substance abuse. Yeah. It's not, it's not like he's saying <laughs> it's not I like did. a secret. It's not like he's saying he did it with Eli. You know? Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Cause then I wouldn't believe a word he said. And the fact that the story was uh, collaborated by, um, did I use that word right? Collaborated? I, uh, I, no, but I kind of know what word you're trying to use. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying to sound smart, but you as a criminal justice major, I figure that maybe you could help me. Clearly not. You're an idiot. Cor- corroborated. Um, corroborated. That's the word. Thank you. Yeah, I got the story corroborated because I didn't believe my dad, but he's never lied to me in the past, so I should have just believed him. There you go. Well. He still calls me his son, which I don't look very much alike him. So maybe, maybe that's a lie. Yeah. I need to do Ancestry.com next week. The mailman. Yeah. Yeah. That's what my dad always said. The mailman. Yeah, the mailman. Yeah. yeah. He, and he always, he would always, when I was a kid, he would always say, I, I'm going to beat you like a redheaded stepchild. So it always made me think too. Now, of course, he never did, people. He never did. Don't worry. I think that was just more of an emphasis kind of thing. He's a very good man. Loud and abrasive, as Justin knows, but a very good man. So let me ask you a question, please. In today's time, I mean, r- running quarterbacks are very common. They very weren't popular. really common back then. Kind of Randall Cunningham, and, you know, he really did change the game in a, lot, in a lot of ways. So how would you game plan on the defensive side of the ball for a running qu- running quarterback and to account for his scrambling ability? What would you do, Snacks? I mean, it's a really good question. Uh, back then or like now? No, what would you do right now? Oh, well, I mean, my fastest linebacker spying him the whole game. There you go. 
So or, or Jabril Peppers is going to spy him the whole game. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So this is what Bill Belichick says. What we have to do with Cunningham is to play him as though as if he were a six receiver. Because when you think about it, if he spread the field and he's got all that room, he's going to move like one in the open field. That's why assigning a guy to mirror him is so important. And that's a major reason why we miss Lawrence so much because Lawrence had the athleticism to kind of keep up with him. Or, you know, even if there was a play where, Hey, Lawrence, you know, you're not going to be rushing the passer this play. And think about this, you know, the value of Lawrence sale, there's, there needs to be, you know, two guys. If you're smart and you're not an idiot, there needs to be two guys directed towards his way all the time, whether it's a running back at a tackle, a tight end and a tackle, a tackle and a guard, right? There at always minimum. needs, at, yeah, at minimum. There <laughs> at always minimum. needs to be two guys kind of directed towards his way. So even if he's not rushing the passer and he's kind of just like, you know, pity, pity pat, uh, patty caking around and because he's a spy, right? You know, having two guys just devoted his way no matter what, that's a value in itself. Oh, so, absolutely. Free somebody else up. So exactly. So that's why losing him is is such a big thing because then you just lose you it changes it changes the whole thing. And and imagine the threat. Right, yeah. exactly. And I know they've played they played Cunningham before because they're in the division and everything, but you're going from immobile quarterbacks that you don't have to account for to completely altering your game plan on a on a short week and then without LT for running quarterback, that's it's it's an impossible task. I would have yeah. liked another line in that game. I mean, like seriously, if you you take into account like what without an without LT or LT on the injury report, what the line opens up that week when you, you have a Randall Cunningham who's pretty much like a, a running back, like Lamar Jackson is nowadays. It's it's curious to me. It, Phil Sims was banged up. And what was the Giants' record at the time? Well, they only had two. They only had two or three losses. Right, and this so, was in December. Yeah, and it was the uh, I forget. I'm sorry. Was the game home? No, it was on the road. It was on the road. Okay. So no, I'm sorry. It was back. home. It was. It home. was home. Right. Yeah. Okay. So all that into account. I, can you find a line? I'm very curious. I have. I have the line. You have the line. All right. Let me try and guess. Now, uh, this is tough because we don't know if LT played or not. I'm gonna say the e- and the Eagles were good too. So yeah, they were. Ver- they were very good. They were very good. So I'll they, say e- they had a very, very good defense. You know, I mean, they talk a lot about Reggie White too. Like Reggie yeah, White. I you know, forget he, they had Reggie White at that time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. I'll say Eagles minus three and a half. Giants minus three. What? All right. You know what? That's a tell that LT played then. Dude, that's your prediction. It, it's got to be a tell. Yeah. There's that's no way prediction. you can have LT. I guess there's a difference. If they had an opening line for it, what it would have been knowing LT might not play. But regardless, I was just right. I was just curious because that's a completely different dynamic than the team you previously played. And yeah. in a short week, possibly no LT or a banged up LT. How do you possibly um, game plan for that? Yep. And also, also, I'm sorry. I'm I've been like yapping way too long now. But no. my dad and my grandfather used to say too that Randall they hated Randall Cunningham because there was just like no way to stop him. And he's so different. He's like that. The one guy or every other quarterback is a statue and the giants can get pressure and LT can go kill. And then there's Randall Cunningham. Who's going to run circles around you all game. And it's like the most frustrating thing, thing to watch. No. And Parcells and, and Belichick, they reflected on, you know, it was, it was the fact that, that the main difference, the X factor in those previous matchups, the three previous matchups that they lost, it was the fact that Cunningham, improvised a few plays 
he got those kind of big gains and those big rushing plays. And especially if it's a third down, then you're moving the chains. If it's a third and long, you know, and, and third and longs, you know, having a third and eight, third and seven, you know, back in 1989 was a lot different than having a third and eight and a third and seven today, where, you know, there's right. such a pre, you know, we're really Jason Garrett's approach of today of <laughs> I'm going to get 12 yards every three plays. That was the approach in 1989. That was a sound and fine approach, but you know, obviously Jason today, won a Super Bowl if he was uh, a coach yeah, back in geez, the Jeez, Yeah. You got that right. Um, Scumbag. Yeah. But that's, but that was the, they talk about that. The coaching staff talks about how that was the main difference in the game. Yeah. Randall Cunningham running improvising and getting those chunk plays um just a few of them that made the that's difference in those previous matchups so right. um that's Crazy. a that's a great point and great thoughts by your family members they they were in line with yeah i guess the giants so. coaching staff. i guess so i know i bring them up a lot but that's where a lot of the stupid nonsense that comes into my head shoots out from so i never right. got to watch them so that's what i say i'm gonna read uh, i'm gonna read one more line Yes, please do. And I mean, he's also you also like then they had Donovan McNabb that torture us. Okay, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry, stupid Eagles. Um, hey, uh, Bill Parcells and Ronnie Barnes had an, had an interesting relationship. We didn't talk. I didn't kind of talk about it in the beginning, but I I need to read this line. Um, so Sims got hurt in the. I feel like Sims was hurt every week. But like like we, like I said, poor poor Phil Sims, dude, just got beat the shit out of every week, and <laughs> he still kind of popped up. Um, so we got hurt against the Vikings, which we've been told by some listeners that that is a game that we have to rewatch. That yes. giant Viking game been from, recommended to us yep. from 1989 is a game that we have to rewatch. So Sims kind of got hurt. Um, one day after Phil hurt the ankle against the Vikings, um, he yelled at me. Ronnie Barnes is saying, what are you doing for Sims? I told him treating him with ice like everyone else. Parcells is like, yeah, well, is it our coldest ice? And I thought about saying, no, I'm using the warm stuff. But I didn't. And I, so I'm in the first about 70 pages of this book. It is now twice where Ronnie Barnes has said something under his breath to Bill Parcells. And he said, I would never say that though. And that is now twice. No. And we are just, he won't say it out loud. <laughs> it is just t- Wednesday. And these yeah. guys are just starting their rehab process, let alone Friday, Saturday, when, you know, the stress of, holy shit are these guys going to be ready to go i can only imagine what you know parcells and these coaches are going to be yelling at ronnie barnes and poor ronnie barnes is just like he's in the crossfire i'm trying my best and an interesting point too um barnes and parcells parcells made it like a philosophy no injections no like shortcuts of you know let's let's shoot this guy up with this stuff and a lot of the other shortcuts that a lot of other teams were doing the, no, that was a no go with the New York Football Giants, and that that's something that we that we learned that I learned here. That surprises me. That yeah. I, I, that surprised me a lot because Bill was definitely an old school guy, and the ire that he clearly has, like, what are you doing, Barnes? Like, you know, not knowing if his best player is going to play, his second best, his most important offensive player, a division matchup for you know to win to win the division coming up against your arch rival. And his philosophy was no injections or anything. I'm very yeah, shocked. And I also that. think I think very he shy. was also cognizant. And I could be wrong with this. This is also just my inferring, my inferring, and then hearing Parcells talk about LT and his substance abuse stuff. I also think Parcells was cognizant of like what this stuff can do to a guy off the field. You know, just injecting Fair. him with shit, and yeah. you know, if you put a guy in more pain so he can play 
you know, well, what is he going to do when he gets off the field? He's going to try to, you know, uh, dilute the pain and, you know, do the shit that LT did. And, you know, so I, I can imagine, you know, that's not what he wanted for his players. I could be reading too far into it. Let me know if I am, but that's at least my inference. So there you go. We are now at Wednesday. Um, coaches are installing their game plans, you know, offense they're, you know, uh, Roy, Roy Earhart's uh, doing what he's doing. Um, lot of, there's more bodies in the room in the offensive game plan than the defensive side because uh, the offensive the offensive people say that uh, you need to be smarter to be on the offensive side of the ball. And then defense says, well, no, they're actually more stupider, but they need more people to explain things to them. <laughs> so there's a funny little dichotomy and battle that's present there of who's smarter and who's more intelligent. That's good. So they're putting in their game plans. Obviously, the more important game plan is uh, is the defensive side and how they're going to do how they're going to approach Randall Cunningham. Underrated little one is how they're actually going to approach uh, Reggie White. And uh, mm. there there actually is not much of a difference in game plan. Uh, Earhart and Parcells say if Hostetler's in or Sims is in. There's not the, the game plan doesn't really change that much. So um, there you go. That's a week one of no medals for trying. That's that's fun. That's a good start. It's very interesting to get some perspective of what was going on that week and a little uh, behind the scenes of Parcells' uh, um, I guess you could say uh, unrest of what's going to, who's going to be on the field for him and the game plan that needs to be installed. So that is fun. And I am very much looking forward to what we have next. All right. Keep on bleeding blue. We'll see you next week. Have a good week. Um, four more. There are three more weeks left of bleeding blue this season and this off season. So Until next week, keep on bleeding blue and snacks. Fuck Tiki Barber.